Hello and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm Fernanda Baker, your host for this week. I'm head of ecosystem for Samsung Next in Silicon Valley. Students across the globe have been consuming information digitally through the use of smartphones, video content, and social media. But in many classrooms, especially in underserved communities, teachers are still using traditional methods like books and magazines. Today, I'm talking to Kai Frazier, the founder of Curated by Kai, about how her company is using virtual reality to make quality education accessible. Welcome to What's Next, Kai. Thank you so much for having me. So why don't you start by telling us what is curated by Kai and what it does? As a student who was labeled at risk and who became a teacher of students just like me living in underserved communities, I stayed up a lot thinking about what I would have done if I had different opportunities and I could share those opportunities with my students. That was the basis for creating my startup, which is Curated by Kai, and we create inclusive and accessible virtual reality classrooms for students, allowing them to dream beyond their current circumstances. Can you briefly explain the differences between augmented reality, virtual reality, and mixed reality? Sure. So I try to explain everything the way I would do to a middle schooler. So when we think about AR, augmented reality, I tell them to think about Snapchat and Pokemon Go. Um, you're adding digital elements uh, to augment or change what you see. And with virtual reality, you're usually using hardware to be immersed or surrounded in a digital or a virtual environment. And with mixed reality, you're usually combining uh, those elements together. You are using virtual reality in classrooms. Can you please share a little deeper how e-learning and virtual reality is impacting the future of education and the next generations? Sure. So when I'm in classrooms, uh, being a teacher in underserved communities, we have textbooks that are usually missing pages. And of course, they're out of date the moment they're printed. Um, but with technology and especially VR, we have an opportunity to create real world experiences that really deepen the learning for students and allow them to see things they never even knew were possible. One of my favorite stats about VR learning is that when students learn using traditional methods such as pencil and paper, they retain new information at a 40% level. When they use VR, they're retaining it at a 90% level for the first time they're seeing it. So if this, we're seeing kids have new interests in different careers, different opportunities, better behavior. And uh, once they've been exposed to things like that, it's really hard to turn back. So I see VR as an amazing tool that will advance learning for all students, just not the ones that can afford the really expensive tech tools. So there's also what is called the digital divide happening in underserved communities. Could you please just give us an explanation about what is digital divide? That's where a lot of my work goes. I'm just going to read off this stat. Um, it says in 2017, a Brookings report found that nearly two-thirds of new jobs created since 2010 require either medium or high-level digital skills. Um, yet in the U.S., 50%, uh, there's a 50% shortage in computer IT graduates expected by 2024. So if most of the jobs that are coming up need these skills, and you don't have the internet um, or you don't have a computer, you're not prepared for these skills. Um, it goes further to say a Pew study found that 
roughly one third of families with household incomes less than 50K with children between the age of five to 18, they don't have high speed internet at home. Without having that high speed internet, they can't do a lot of these things like find new jobs, increase their digital literacy, apply to colleges, noble opportunities. So what we are up against because of the digital divide or they're not being digital opportunities for learning and uh, jobs in huge areas of the world, I'm really concerned that there is a huge gap that's coming right behind us because we're not going to be able to fulfill those jobs. Um, we do a lot of talking about like, you know, AI and automation of all these jobs and we're not going to have jobs. But really, I think a lot of the conversation needs to be, how are we preparing for these skills? And that goes back to the education thing. I, when I talk to communities and they, they're really afraid of AI, I'm like, well, you could be running these machines. When are we transferring these skills and how do we do that if we know there's whole communities um, that don't have the tech? When I was a teacher in the classroom, we always thought that tech was going to be the great equalizer to close the education gap. But what we saw was, and in my classroom in particular, it blew out the gap very fast um, and it made it worse because my kids that had books didn't have the tech, but the schools that were close by that had all the money, they had the best tech. So you have kids who are learning on each kid has an iPod, each kid has a computer, each kid has state-of-the-art technology in their classroom. And then my school, where we're like three to a book, uh, kids can't afford lunch. So the gap was just getting even wider. So I don't think tech is going to be the answer. And I think it's going to be a lot of people that have to come to the table to talk about issues like this digital divide and the homework gap that's happening. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and why you decided to found the company? When I was in high school, I would suddenly find myself homeless. And when you're homeless and a student, you're not thinking about your grades. You're really not thinking about what's coming next. You're trying to survive day to day. And I always wonder what life would have been like if I actually had people showing me different things. For example, I had a, a high school counselor that gave me a waiver. I never even knew what a waiver was. And that's what allowed me to apply to college. But if I was not given that waiver, I don't know if I would have went to college. So I try to think about my experiences and then those of the students that I teach. Working in underserved communities, I'm working with students who are in dire poverty, my students were incarcerated parents, my students who are homeless like me. Um, so it's a really challenging population. And my job as a history teacher was to teach them about the world around them, which is kind of difficult when they've never had exposure beyond their neighborhoods. After I left teaching, I got into museums. And what was kind of infuriating to me was that my old school that I taught at was 30 minutes down the street, and my students still could not get to the free museum because they couldn't afford it. The schools couldn't afford the buses to get them there. Uh, we couldn't afford the school lunches that we had to provide if we were doing a full day out of school. So even though it was very close in proximity, the museums were still not accessible. In schools since 2010, about 50% of them have lost the ability to do field trips. So without that exposure, students really don't have a fair chance at life compared to their peers. This also translates into the future of work because they're not learning about new careers and opportunities. Um, so me, having absolutely no tech background, being a history teacher, starting a VR company, it, it seemed a little crazy and it still is crazy. But for me... Um, 
something's got to give. Um, when you're working in these communities, you realize help is not coming. And a lot of people in tech, they're innovating for the newest and best thing, but nobody's thinking about the students and the people who don't have access to high-speed internet. Um, you, you'll see the stat about the homework divide that says one out of three Black teens do their homework on their smartphone. So if these students have computers, why aren't we not innovating with smartphone and mobile tech? So I wanted to make a company that really took into all my life experiences and that of my students to create something that met them where they are to give them a fair shot at education. When you have the idea of, I want to build a VR tool to give kids in school accessibility to a higher quality education, from ideation to reality, can you walk us through that path? Two of my earliest prototypes that we did was we took students through virtual reality to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial in Washington, D.C. And for me as a teacher, I thought that, you know, of course, all my students know who MLK is. You know, that's international history. And when I asked recently a classroom of students who were English language learners who knew of MLK, out of 17 students, uh, 16 did not know who he was. Um, and then we start to think about, you know, culturally relevant learnings. Maybe that's uh, in the U.S. we know about that a lot, but maybe other students don't know these things. Um, and a lot of students, too, in that classroom, English is not their first language. So any tools they would have had to learn about him were usually in English. So there were so many barriers to their learning. So thinking about that, how do we film something with those challenges? When you look at a lot of the VR on the market, it's very expensive to run. You need a headset that costs about between $200 and $500, and a majority of those headsets need a expensive computer to run with it that usually runs between $2,500 and $3,000. So you're talking about, let's say, $3,500 to run one headset with a classroom who the kids don't have money for lunch. You know, So you have to think about it completely different. But even if they don't have money for lunch, um, usually one out of three or half of the students have a cell phone. So we started to think about what that would look like for a very simple VR experience that just gave them access to the memorial. And then, you know, I'm completely bootstrapped. So if no money to do any of these things, that was me going to the memorial, me filming it in 360, me taking it back to the school and seeing how they felt about it, then asking two of my former students to record the I Have a Dream speech in English and in Spanish. And then we took it back to the classroom and we could see their reactions change because for the first time they were included. They could actually understand what they're doing. And that's where you're seeing the barriers of why don't they know who MLK is? Nothing's really being adapted to their levels. Um, and then, too, I just want to add that when you have this expensive tech, maybe you people will say, oh, it does run the school. Um, just go ahead and try it. But we're assuming a lot of these schools have Wi-Fi. I go to a lot of the schools that don't have heat. So Wi-Fi is like a dream. Um, so when you're doing that, even the best VR ends up being an expensive brick because it can't run with a lack of Wi-Fi with such, you know, high rendered graphics and things like that. So how is Curated by Kai doing it differently? What is the difference in your hardware that you can make it accessible? So I'll say for us, we are listening to the audience that we serve. I spend a lot of time in the communities, whether it's with parents, teachers, and students themselves. And I ask them, what do they want to see? Um, and then I ask, what are the challenges, the tech challenges in the classrooms? So my rule of thumb is that, you know, I want it to work for the very lowest, you know, low income situations. And if we can start there, then we can build up. 
Most companies do a top down. How can I get the most people to buy the most expensive hardware um, quickly? And we know a lot of the people that we work with don't even know what VR is. It's a big educational thing first to show them the possibilities of VR and sell them into a dream of what VR can do. Then it's teaching them that, hey, you can do it for really uh, in a really inexpensive way. Even if you can't afford a cardboard headset, which is what we primarily use, you can do a 360 video on your phone or your computer. Um, when I talk to VR studios and I ask them, what are they going to create um, for the next project? They'll tell me things like a refugee camp experience or uh, an astronaut in space uh, dividing fractions. And then I go to schools and I say, I, I walk up to a kid and I'll say, what do you want to see in VR? And they'll tell me like a zebra, a lion. I'll ask a teacher, what do they want for their students? And they'll say a job interview, um, learning soft skills. So I feel like there's a big push to solving problems um, and making solutions for problems that don't exist. So we're trying to make solutions for the very real things that are happening right now in classrooms that are experiencing a continual shortage of budgets. So what's the incentive for content creators to work with Curated by Kai? The incentive to work with my startup is we're getting eyes on it. When I talk to a lot of people in VR, they're making productions, but the actual distribution uh, is a little bit challenging. Uh, maybe it's built for a one-off, for maybe uh, activation for a marketing campaign, and then it's gone. Uh, or maybe it's built for a immersive hand controller like uh, HTC Vive or maybe an Oculus Quest. That's the only audience that can see it. What we do is we go and we curate content um, and we get that to schools. We make curriculum around it so kids can actually learn and think critically about it. And then, like I said, with a lot of these experiences, it's a struggle to get eyes on them. We're getting people watching our content from places I would have never imagined and that's including globally. Um, so we have teachers in the UK that are using it, teachers in Nigeria that are using it, and then like senior citizen communities right here in the Bay Area. We're excited to see our distribution channels grow. Who are your customers and partners? When I first started off, I just knew it was going to be K through 12. You couldn't tell me anything. Uh, I wanted to make a ed tech tool to work with schools. Uh, from there, it's turned into um, we're seeing a large interest from senior communities, and that is still blowing my mind. I had a senior community that approached me saying that they had English language learners uh, in their 60s through 80s, and they couldn't find content that was simple enough that they would want to listen to. They didn't want to see C-Spot run. They wanted to watch, let's say, the Obama portraits in VR is one of our experiences and they can hear about it in very simple English. So that was a really uh, interesting thing to learn. Um, and then from there, we're focusing uh, a little bit on juvenile detention centers, alternative schools, and even I hope to work with jails and prisons one day because I think it's a great tool for people to not be so disconnected from the world when they have longer sentences. Um, and even with that, there are a lot of students who are in these systems that we forget about. The last audience I uh, want to add is that that uh, we have a big interest from children's hospitals. Um, a lot of kids who can't physically go places and maybe they're bedridden and they can't even sit up, but through a passive VR experience, they can turn their head around and see things that they can't always see. And that's really fulfilling to see our audience grow in ways I could have never imagined. Can you share how many kids' lives have you touched with Curated by Kai? 
at the moment? Ah,、uh, you know that's a hard question to answer. The way we have our platform set up right now is anybody can come up and sign up and watch the videos, and I and they're from they're from all over. Um, so a single login may be a classroom, a teacher classroom giving it to her thirty students, or maybe a homeschool educator who's working with their uh their daughter or something. Um, but we're getting stories that pop up out of nowhere. Um, we had a donation.、Uh, we've done two big donation drives, donating um equipment to schools, and those have been really heartwarming to see. Um, not only what the injection of tech is doing in these communities, uh, it's also nice to see a lot of these schools are sharing equipment. Um, so, and I didn't expect that either. And that's beautiful that they are giving back to each other through that. I've seen a lot of students who have disabilities and physical disabilities. So we're getting videos of kids with cerebral palsy,、uh, using our VR experiences, and that was really nice to see as well. And then too, I have all the students I taught physically. So I have about you know maybe between oh God oh, maybe eleven hundred to fifteen hundred students I've taught.、Uh, my youngest group are in their second year of college right now.、Uh, my oldest group is three years younger than me.、Uh, so it's really nice to see what they're doing, if not just through the actual VR of、uh, curated by Kai, they are interested in seeing that. Coming from nothing, they can make companies, and they don't have to accept the narratives that they've been living in. They can actually change and and dream and make a difference. What are the most exciting content you have on your platform right now? We have a cartoon dance party from、uh, a lot of the characters from the Cartoon Network that kids tend to love, and I like to use that one because when you're in a classroom, kids may have like a little meltdown or behavior problems, and you can't always walk them outside to get fresh air and to reset. So sometimes a two-minute cartoon dance party is all they need to kind of reset their attitude for that day、uh, and come back and be with us in the classroom. I have content that takes you to Mecca and Medina, and, and that's really exciting to me. Because as a world history teacher, I can't tell you how many times with world history comes world religion, and every. Semester when I had to teach Islam, I would tell my students when you come back to school on, my, on Monday, bring your books. We're going to start、um, Islam and the Islamic Empire, and I would always get the question or the response,、uh, Miss Fraser. I'm going to get in trouble if my mom knows I'm learning about terrorism. By seeing a VR experience that takes you through a pilgrimage、uh, to Mecca, people are starting to see. Oh, they actually look like me. They saw. Oh, I go to maybe I go to church or synagogue too. So they're seeing similarities and not differences. And those differences sometimes. We've not guided with critical thinking turn into fear, and that turns into hatred. So I really like a lot of the experiences that show exposure to different communities. We have one on our site that is World Laundry Day, so you can see how people do laundry across the world. Simple things you don't think about, but they make a big difference for kids. We have one that、uh, does astronaut training, so the kids are kind of immersed in a Olympic-sized、uh, swimming pool, and they're learning about how astronauts actually train with the lack of gravity underwater, and they get to see that. For the first time, so that's pretty cool to watch too. So, curated by Kai offers the hardware piece and the content as a package. Can you please walk us through your business model? Sure. So, when I started my company. Being new to business, and I never even had an aspiration to have a business beforehand.、So、this is very—I'm very green to all of this. I didn't realize I didn't have a product. I had VR experiences that were accessible, and 
I went through a cohort that had to really tell me I had nothing until I could find a way people actually could come and take an action and buy something um, or do something, some type of action. So we changed it so uh, you had to make an account to experience this stuff. And that's our first time tracking who was coming to our site and things like that. From there, we saw people were coming to our site, seeing our catalog, and then they didn't know what to do. They had no hardware. So then we got into selling hardware, different pieces, Bluetooth headset, car board headsets, and you could use it to do our experiences. Then we saw that students and teachers didn't know how to think through it. So we had to make curriculum around it. So then we went to VR STEM kits where kids could have the hardware. It came with a hardware piece, a workbook, uh, some CXK swag, um, and just enough to get started. And Without even thinking about it, I didn't realize that we were scaling our STEM kits in my sleep because I didn't know marketing for them. And it went from selling one here or there to selling full classroom sets to people. And I still didn't even realize what was happening. And my advisor took me out for a meeting and I had my first napkin um, experience where they write the notes on the napkin. And he just completely like tore up my whole business plan. It was like, what are you doing? You're scaling and you don't even know it. You have to scale this product. So now we have pivoted recently and we are finally scaling our STEM kits that will come with a subscription to our VR content. And what I'm really excited about is not so much the content. I had to realize that I was failing if all I was providing was content for kids. Now, by partnering with Mozilla, we are able to make a maker space for kids so they can use the drag and drop open source technology that Mozilla has created. We are integrating that into our app right now. We're, we're actually making an app. We were web-based. So we're integrating that into our app now so kids can come to our site and they can view the content. They can drag and drop in a maker space and then eventually they can use HTML coding to do web VR. So we're making a suite for kids now and their first touch point will be that VR STEM kit that gives them everything they need to get set up to make the most of our offerings. How will the future be different if curated by Kai becomes widely adopted? So for my company, yes, I do want it to be a company where kids all over are learning a fair education that gives them exposure and opportunities to new to new uh, ideas, careers, anything they put their mind to. That's probably my low-level goal. My big vision goal is to inspire enough kids that they make their own companies so they can solve a lot of the issues that are happening in their communities that a lot of venture capitalists or companies don't see as an issue. And right now, I feel like we're all doing things in our own different silos or we have everything we need you know, I tell people all the time, like, yes, I may not have money, but there are people who have money and no ideas, you know, so and they would pay anything to have your ideas. So you need to understand your leverage. I want kids at a really young age to know that they, too, can collaborate, team up together and, you know, think of their craziest ideas um, and put it to life uh, at any way they can so they can make changes in their community. When we talk about tech, a lot of the ways we try to encourage kids to get into tech is if you get into tech, you make a lot of money. And that's cool for some of them, but we don't have examples of if you get into tech, you can make a change in your community so your family doesn't have to struggle like this. So I'm hoping that we have kids all over if my company grows the way I know it will grow that really take the true lessons of, you know, dreaming up these things and executing these things. So we're seeing a world with a lot of social impact companies that can also be profitable. You moved from D.C. to the Bay Area and you built this company from scratch. 
What are some of the most surprising things you've learned by running Curated by Kai? When I was in D.C., I always thought I was a problem maker, and I didn't know I, I was always kind of getting in trouble at work post-teaching. And it took me a while to realize that the reason why I was getting into these, like, passive-aggressive work conflicts was because I had an inability to be willfully ignorant to opportunities for improvement. And by suggesting those opportunities for improvement or problem-solving, that was causing more work. And I was in an environment where more more work and failure are just really looked down upon. When I came to the Bay chaperoning students for the first time, it was my first time being in the Bay. And I couldn't believe that I was surrounded by people who were asking questions, you know, just at lunch, just talking about how to provide solutions to those questions. And it just felt like the biggest breath of fresh air. And I felt like I was no longer this problem maker. I sold everything I had for a chance to have that I sold. I had no money for a company, so I sold my house, my car, and everything I owned, and I moved across the country with basically nothing. The lesson I learned from that is when I talk to people about starting a company, they always tell me, well, when I get this and when I get that, I can start a company. And it's really never about when you get stuff. For a lot of that, that's not in our cars. We don't have family members that can give us a, a friends and family round of like, you know, 50,000 so we can, you know, start. Really what it comes down to is what are you willing to sacrifice? If you look at it like that, it may be, yes, you don't have a nest egg to start a company, but can you move back home with your parents for a year to make that nest egg? Are you willing to make that sacrifice to make it happen? And I don't think we talk about sacrifices enough. I'm scared every single day, multiple times a day. But what I've learned from entrepreneurship is that it's not about being fearless. It's about being brave. And bravery looks like taking itty bitty baby steps every single day towards the direction of your your dreams. When you look back, those baby steps add up to huge giant leaps. And then once you take a look back, you realize that about 98% of people will never take any steps to their dreams. And you realize, you know, it was never a competition in the first place. It is for you to look forward and put your head down and do the work that it takes to get those dreams done. Next, you have to make a support system because this road is scary. Um, and you'll wake up to things that, you know, are just not ideal. And, you know, you have to be crazy to keep going. But with that support system, you all can be brave together because one thing is for sure, you cannot do entrepreneurship by yourself. Uh, it will work for a little bit, but it, it's not a solo sport at all. After you've gotten that far, and that far doesn't mean like you've scaled a, a company as a billion dollar company. It means that you're still going. You know, success for me is where I'm still standing each day. So also knowing how to define my success and standards that are okay for me. But once you have been brave enough and you're getting kind of more comfortable taking those steps, it is your obligation to reach back and help people who are just as afraid um, because they don't have examples. Tell people I talk to at Tech Talks that, you know, we are all ancestors in training. You know, we are here because somebody took all those steps for us. Every time somebody says, oh, but it's hard, I'm like, but slavery was hard. You know, and if people mm -hmm. didn't take steps during that, where would I be right now? So I, the least I can do is take a baby step every single day. And because we are ancestors in training, people People are depending on us. We always say that we are our ancestors' wildest dreams, but the reality is, yes, that's true, and we are ancestors in trainings, and people are really looking up to see what we do with these opportunities and these sacrifices that we made to keep the tradition going so we can do better than the generation before us. Love this. Thank you for being here, Kai. That was great. It was my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. 
Thank you for listening to What's Next. We release a new episode every other week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Fernanda Baker. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King, Laura Flynn, and Eliza Lambert, with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email podcast at samsungnext.com. Until next time. <laughs>